it's so good to be with you guys. Uh, so we've got Fallon here with us, and Chris and Fallon were both focused missionaries. So Fallon, surely you've got some dirt on Chris. <laughs> Bring it. I, I, <laughs> I really don't. I was thinking. I was thinking the other day. I was like, yeah, I think the only association I have with Chris Beck is that he is an Oklahoma guy. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need I, to know. <laughs> <laughs> I did know that he got he got married like after he left staff. I had heard that and was like happy for you, but that's really all I know. We that's are the worst dirt on you and or on me. <laughs> Jace is going to be so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Yeah, we really should retitle this podcast to "Red Dirt Rag on Chris." Just saying. We we do like to make fun of Chris a little bit. It's kind I of mean, it's pretty easy. I got a lot of low hanging fruit. <laughs> it's kind of fun how close we all are, like by connection, you know. So, like, I'll, we'll just explore yeah. some of them. You're from the University of Kansas, right? Is where you went to yeah. at your alma mater. So, Our undergrad, yeah. We had Archbishop Coakley on the show a few times. You know, he's a proud graduate oh, of the same. Oh my gosh! Great. You know, right? Yeah. And then, uh-huh. what else do we have? I mean, Chris, do you have any? Well, I mean, the fact that, yeah, we were in focus and James was a better focus missionary than all of us, even though he was never officially in focus. Uh, I just don't want to be, dude. Yeah, your, <laughs> your wife uh, and her relations with Fallon's sister, Erin, and, uh, well, Fallon's sister, Erin, and I share a godchild, James's son, actually. <laughs> yes. Yes. The world is very small. And, and for small. the record, for the listeners, James has called me Aaron two times already. Yeah, two times today. today. So if, if I say Aaron, Fallon. which is Fallon's <laughs> twin sister, then um, audience, forgive me. I, I meant Fallon. And, and Fallon, please forgive me. Is I was, sh- I was sharing <laughs> I with I Fallon do. that like I got off the phone with her. And I know Aaron really well, obviously, because she's one of my wife's best friends. And uh, But I got off the phone and I hear the similarities of voices because they're sisters and twins and stuff. And I was like, and I can sense just such a uniquely different person at the same time, you know, um, like uniquely yeah. beautiful, kind of like JP two says, you know, each person's a unique and unrepeatable vocation. And so it's just, but it was kind of an interesting experience. It's like, I know the sound of this voice and it's sounds like Aaron, but I'm talking to yeah. someone so different, you know, and yeah. his or sister, what was it like being a twin? Like what, what's that? Are you, oh, what was it? <laughs> or what is it? Yeah. Good, good yeah. <laughs> and now that, now that you're <laughs> what was it like when I called you Aaron three times earlier? <laughs> Well, I feel it's very normal for me now. When I first came to the focus office, my sister beat me by a year. She became a regional director one year ahead of me. And so it was hilarious because I came in and even being separated, I mean, I was called Aaron for a whole year, literally a whole calendar year (laughs) called Aaron. And God bless them. Like the people at the Denver Support Center, they didn't know me, of course, because I'd been in Texas serving as a missionary um, for four years at that point. And so they they were very familiar with Aaron. And so when people call me Aaron, it's just like a very normal thing. It's it does not offend me at all. She gets a little more offended, which I'm like, uh oh, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Who's so older? Wait, did y'all did you guys mess with the interviewers when you guys were applying for focus? Like she walked out and then they <laughs> then you walked we, in. <laughs> we didn't we didn't uh we should have done that. I think we were so like, we gotta do well here. Yeah. <laughs> that we weren't thinking about that, but she was the um she was the head MC for our seat conference this year and we did contemplate doing a little switch during one of the <sighs> sessions and then and seeing if anybody noticed because we are no I I think personally I think we're pretty no- noticeably different you for are, others they yeah. don't it's like James it's like your experience on the phone people get off the phone and say gosh it felt like I was talking to 
the other one, but there were some differences, but I couldn't, it was kind of hard. So different with different people. <laughs> so this is just a question I've always wanted to know. You know how most people, when you first meet identical twins, they struggle to tell the difference, especially if they dress and look similarly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but once you get to know them, it's like, you don't even have to think about it. You just right. can tell. Yeah. Can you, as a twin, see other twins like for the first time and just immediately be able to tell like you're Billy and you're Bob? <laughs> or are you like a normal person like the rest of us that struggles? Good question. So I empathize when I meet twins, when they look alike. So I'm like, oh man, that probably was a little cross in your life. But I am like the world. Like I can't tell the difference usually between them being a twin. I, I'm like, oh, shoot, yeah, I don't know which one's which. I went to high school with twins. It took me a little bit to to get to know the distinction. Um, so, yeah, it, it, you don't have any superpowers being a twin to just no, which I, it's like, worth a shot. <laughs> unfor- unfortunately, that is not a gift. <laughs> is it ever tiring to be a twin and look like we're having banter right now, literally just asking you about twins? <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever be like, I have favorite movies and music as well? It's like about my sister. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, it's the best. It's the best talking about being a twin because it, it's been like the greatest joy of my life. And my sister's my best friend. I'm more proud of her than anybody else. So it's, it's fun when I get to talk to her. So I don't get tired of it. I could see maybe some might if that, their experience was different than mine, but mine was so positive. Yeah, I love it. It's really cool. You guys have a beautiful relationship. And it was why I was the reason why we're all here in some sense. Well, God's arranged so many pieces that we could know each other, which is just awe inspiring to think about that. Like all three of us and here Mm -hmm. and like the mission Mm -hmm. of the church that we're engaged in and the messy, sinful lives we lived before we want probably not Fallon, but at least Chris and I before we, you know, dropped our nets and followed Christ. Um, But it's just crazy. So I was just I was asking Aaron, like kind of geeking out, like, I'd love to have a couple folks from the apostolate. Here's some topics we're covering, like from focus, come on, here's the topics we're covering. And so we were just brainstorming. I was like, what about someone who can just like from, from their own lived experience speak pretty, like pretty relevantly and uh, about this holy apostolate and the, and the teachings embodied in the work. And she recommended a couple and she's like, and, and Aaron and Fallon, my, I did it, Fallon, my sister. And then I, <laughs> I just ran it. The world, the Catholic world is so small. I like asked three or four friends who I thought might know you, you know, and like Clayton Caldwell was one of them. He was like, yeah, Aaron would be great. Or, Gosh, Fallon would be great. <laughs> this is the, this is terrible. This is terrible. So this banter is on James's in, incapacity to, uh, <laughs> to lead a, a uh, podcast. So <laughs> anyhow. We have Aaron on now just so you can call her Fallon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we have a, a dear friend, Fallon, who we don't know as well as we'd like to know, yet because of like these common friendships and connections and, and people and deeply held convictions, we, we, we're happy to have y'all join this wonderful conversation amidst, you know, soon to be besties, as Chris said earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's totes happening. <laughs> so we're, we're happy to join you guys today. Um, we're Red Dirt Catholics. I'm James. I'm Chris. And I'm Fallon. All right. Let's get started. <laughs> Fallon, would you like to get, uh, pray for us? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, thank you for being with us today in our hearts and bringing us together. Thank you for um, the friendships that you have fostered in our lives. Uh, thank you for the Lenten journey we are on 
currently and um, the way that you're converting our hearts more and more uh, to the sacred heart of Jesus and to see the world the way that you do. We entrust ourselves to you, Jesus, more fully this day. Um, And we ask Mother Mary to come in and pray for us and pray for our spiritual journeys that we will persevere like she did and continue hoping uh, in dark times. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we mentioned earlier, this is a continuation of our series on Soul of the Apostolate. If you hadn't heard Chris and I, you know, geek out on on the book, the past two episodes, you might rewind a little bit and check that out. Um, (laughs) And I don't know about you guys, but when I read this book, I, um, there were several moments where I was like, wow, did the author like read my soul and like my experience here? (laughs) And then the other thing I desired after finishing, I was like, man, who, uh, who lives this way? Like, I want to see it, you know? And so... That's what I hope for this episode in, in talking with Fallon is just for all of us to kind of see that and ponder our own lives as we do that. And just as we begin, kind of a reminder, we're, this year we're going down this path of this challenge to be an ordinary missionary. Um, and you can join us more intentionally by going to archokc slash Red Dirt Catholics and sign up there. You'll get a copy of this book and some others throughout the year. Um, but we'd love to engage with you more in, in that space. But the idea would be, yeah, in our ordinary life, um, the mission of the church, the the proclamation of Christ's mercy can be quite extraordinary and beginning inside is one of the ba- greatest ways for Christ to have a great impact in others. Mm. So Fallon, just tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll dig in. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, it's an honor to be here and to talk specifically about interiority because that is um, so it's something I'm still growing in, you know, and have not figured it out. Um, and God has, has graced me in a lot of different ways in my journey to come to understand it a bit deeper um, and to be more convicted of it each day, really. Um, so, so I had a, a great upbringing, um, amazing parents that, that praise the Lord were Catholic, uh, raised me in the church, raised me in the faith. But it really wasn't until college that I experienced a, a more personal ownership of my faith. Um, and it was at Kansas where I went to undergrad through the St. Lawrence Center that I, I received a lot of formation, um, developed really for the first time good Catholic friendships. And, and I had I'd come from a small rural farm town, um, mostly Protestant. And so I, I felt mostly like in my faith, particularly Catholic faith, I felt a little bit like an outlier. So college was like, whoa, there's Catholics and there's young people and they pray. And that's crazy. Um, and so that, that transition was huge for me. And that's, that's where I really fell in love with the church in a new way that I really had never experienced. Um, it became exciting. I was engaged with it on a consistent basis. And then I was coming to slowly know this Jesus, like this, this person that I had never really had a, a deep and personal and intimate relationship with. And that's where the, the interiority, you know, pieces you were sharing, that that was the topic we'd be sharing today. I, um, that's where it started. It was slow in college, but that's where it really started because I, I had never dialogued or related with God ever. I, I knew who God was, but I had never like been intimately involved with him, you know? And, um, so long story short, uh, fast forward, I, I was discerning several things after college. I thought that I would go, um, into the sports business world. My, my parents are both, um, 
coaches. My dad coached college basketball for 28 years. My mom is a high school volleyball coach, coached me through high school. Um, and I love sports. I love the, the passion, the conviction, the team, the laying down your life, you know, something, you know, was really driving me towards that. But, but the Lord kind of invited me into missionary life to meet some of those desires I had that, that were moving me towards the sports stuff. And he said, you know, I, I can fulfill this in mission. Um, and I felt very, very called to it. So I, I had been very impacted by Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University students at, at college, and um, interviewed with them after college, uh, got a job with them, became a missionary at Texas A&M University. Uh, I served there for four years. Three of the years, I was the team director for the team there on campus, and then um, moved over to Denver, where our headquarters for Focus um, exists and am currently a regional director serving seven East Coast campuses in the new evangelization and discipleship, um, forming young people specifically to develop what we're talking about, this interiority, um, and then to live from that place in their missions. So that's a little bit, a little bit about me. Awesome. <laughs> I love conversion stories. I wish we had more time <laughs> to hear them. I know. Just the, know. the depth. Yeah. At what point did you feel like you started to even get like a small grasp of understanding what the interior life is rather than just like, yeah, I go to prayer every day because focus, we have a holy hour. But like you yeah. mentioned ownership of your faith, but actually recognizing, you know, the, the drinking from the well, right. And, and pulling and just and seeing prayer as more of a divine union between you and God, rather just a conversation alone. Hmm. I would say it was it was a slow process for me. The Lord, uh, he, he kind of like I don't know. I was kind of the mouse that was like eating the cheese and then walking a little bit, eating another piece of cheese, walking a little <laughs> bit, and just it, he was like the Lord was kind of like guiding me through Himself with these little nibbles, you know. And I think He probably knows I wouldn't have been able to intake it all at one point if I, if it was like you know, uh, relationship with God is divine communion. I he, I wouldn't have received it. <laughs> Not because I didn't want to, just because it, it would have been too much for my heart. And yeah. um, he also knows me so well that I probably would have tried to calculate that uh, or produce something from that, which is, you know, the whole book, <laughs> the whole entire soul of the apostolate is about that principle. Um, but but I had grown up, you know, high achiever so much that I think the Lord really knew that the, the little nibbles of cheese was like what I needed. And so it was actually... I. The very first nibble of cheese was in um, in college. It was after I had had a powerful experience with the Eucharist. I didn't know what the Eucharist was at that time. Um, even though I'd gone to Mass my whole life, I had never, ex no one had ever shared what the Eucharist really was. And I remember I went on a retreat, had a powerful experience, still didn't know what it was, <laughs> decided that it would be a fun idea to start this thing called spiritual direction. Um, and so I, I went with one of the religious sisters back at the St. Lawrence Center. Um, and I remember I came in with a bunch of questions because I thought that that was what spiritual direction was. And uh, it was like question answer. Like I ask you, you tell me answer. about faith. <laughs> And that was the first time that I realized, oh, my gosh, I don't know if this whole like relationship with God thing is all about just knowing stuff and doing stuff, which at that point it was, it was about learning things intellectually, living things. I didn't know the word apostolate, but like mm -hmm. doing things, responding. And so, but that was the first time my director 
show, you know, she, she would ask me, well, what does Jesus say about that? Did you ask him? And I was like, no. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you had all the answers. <laughs> I, I haven't asked Jesus. But that was the first, first little nibble of cheese that like helped me come to see, oh, I don't, this might be different than I thought. Uh, mm. Praise God for good spiritual directors. Yeah. As a yeah. side note, you know, I think that's interesting. You brought that up. Just a postulate. What is a postulate? Like, what does that mean when that word just for, cause that was a nebulous term for me too. And, yeah. Furiously yeah. typing on Miriam Webster. <laughs> 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 what is a postulate? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, well, I guess you guys have maybe spoken about this in episodes. I haven't, I haven't heard, but how, how I see it is, um, you know, apostolate is an outpouring of a response from something inside with God. Uh, it's a it's a communion with God that exists in the heart, as many say, the deep heart, uh, the the innermost place of communion with the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then apostolate is like going out and living what I've experienced in the deep heart, in particular ways, and and then. I think each person might be invited by the Lord to live different apostolates um, and missions, but I think it's an outpouring from that place um, uh, manifested in unique ways to each soul. Wow. I'm glad I didn't, That's I'm, glad I didn't I'm glad I didn't define it. <laughs> yeah. what, what would you say? What would you say, James? Oh, okay. So I think <laughs> I would have probably just been really simple and in, in so forth. So like you helped me understand like the beauty of a postulate, you know, and I, I think in some sense we just the apostolate is like the mission of the church, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the active yeah. missionary life of the church is the apostolate. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, for those of us contemplating like, how the heck am I supposed to be a missionary? Like Fallon and Chris, like, you know, did this radical stuff on a college campus and all that. And so like, yeah, like focus of Catholic university students is an apostolate, like a part mm -hmm. of the missionary work of the church, you know, a, a quite yeah. beautiful part. Um, you know, domestic church is an apostolate, you know, the, and there's a handful sisters of life, you know, there, there's all these different, I mean, they're a religious yeah. order, but you know, there's all these different particular things that are a particular expression of the apostolate, which is like Christ's church, you know, like, I don't, I, yeah. it's just like, it's the missionary and I, I could be off, but for me, like in some sense, I find unity with a lot of folks who are formerly missionaries because they're in the apostolate of the church in the general sense. So like that experience of like that you mentioned that you yeah. felt like an authentic Christian community on a college campus, like, wow, these people are really living it, you know, mm -hmm. when people are out of a desire to, out of a place of experiencing Christ's mercy are actively engaged in the labor of the church, spreading his mercy. Um, like I find kinship with them because they're engaged in mm -hmm. that apostolate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. and it might totally, look different. Yeah. It might look like prison ministry. It might look like this or that. Um, but yeah, you, you've just brought it in the deepest. You 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 defined it in this beautiful lens of interiority that I, I probably would have missed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Now, <laughs> Fallon, I'm I'm curious, and I don't mean to put you. Well, I mean I do. Obviously, I mean to put you on the spot. <clears throat> Can you think of any? <laughs> like real intentional stories or moments and they don't have to be, you know, mind blowing, but just when after it happened, it totally clicked that this wouldn't have happened if I didn't start establishing God as, you know, <laughs> primordial in all that I do. 
right? This apostle, mm-hmm. the going out, the, the, the action of the church, the missionary work of his mm-hmm. people. But like a time where you just realized, if I wouldn't have started praying, knowing that God's doing the work and I'm just receiving what he's giving, what just happened would not have happened. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. It brings to mind, um, I would say, a deeper conversion that I had even after my initial encounter with Jesus, um, which was early in college. Um, but as I grew, you know, after that, I went out and did apostolate. I was leading a Bible study in Capital to Sorority for three years. I was discipling people in that sorority, trying to reach the lost, you know, and I had a deep passion for that. And I would say it was coming from that place of encounter because I I knew I wanted others to know the person of Jesus and fruit was being born externally that I could see. But I would actually, to your question, um, it makes, it doesn't make me think of those stories actually, because I I think those were very blessed and ordained by the Lord. um, Certainly. And, And I don't think that, you know, God, God is the the great master of all, he can do anything he wants. He could give no fruit. He could give give all fruit. It's up to his divine plan and providence and will. Um, And so, you know, my response is cooperating and collaborating with him and his will. Uh, My hope is that it's all conformed, you know, over the course of my journey, but he could do it and actually not, he he could do it on his own, but he wants, he wants to do it with me. And so I actually think, um, my deeper conversion to this place of um, the interior communion being the place of the lived external fruit, whether it's when what we see as external fruit, you know, or not, um, comes from my time actually as a missionary. I, um, you know, I, I joined staff in 2015. I got sent to Texas A&M, huge campus, huge Catholic center. And with my background um, that first year, I just lived mission the way I always had um, in college. And again, very blessed and very grace and good. But what I was noticing was the place I was living from was a little bit more from the response of I need to do something because it's just what I've always done. And action and production and success. Those were the things that I I noticed now that I'm, you know, in 2022, looking (laughs) back, I was more rooted in that. And it wasn't until, you know, I went on a retreat um, the summer going into my second year on staff. And that was also the the year that I became a team director where there, there was a radical, I mean, probably up to that point in my life, the most radical shift inside that happened even compared to my reversion, I mean, compared to any of it. And the shift was when I met God, the father. Um, And when I met the person of God, the father, um, it changed my entire lens of the world. Um, And my apostolate or my mission or what anything I was doing kind of just dissolved. Like I remember this shift of like, when I met God, the father specifically in his heart, and the relationship went deep, deep, deep. And that's why I guess referencing the deep part, it was like God was in my heart, but he wasn't in the deep part until I met the father and really like showed him who I was. And I got to know who he was. And from that place, that success and like the the drive to produce and the desire to be effective, it's not that those things were bad, but they just didn't become the priority for me anymore in 
in a responsive way. And um, so I, I noticed without even intentionally doing anything, I noticed that my mission really shifted. And I started focusing a lot more on the most important thing is for me and for others to live in deep communion with God. And I just started noticing that things just started happening in the mission. I mean, and I could give you story after story, Chris, as to your question. Um, one year, I remember we were praying for, for new hires on staff for focus, specifically men. And we had people involved, you know, and they were doing great things after college. We hired 20 guys that year or 20 people and 11 of them were men which was insane. Like it was insane. And people would come and ask, there were other like leaders or team directors or missionaries that would say, Hey, can you tell us what you're doing? You know, that we, we are going after the same fruit, which is a good question. And there were probably some strategic things that were worth sharing, you know, but my answer always was, we're just living deeply with God and we're living deeply with him in prayer and with each other in deep, close community, and things are blowing up. <laughs> and so uh, there, was a, there was a shift, uh, I guess, at that point that, like, converted me most. I think God was, looking back, God, God was most pleased with the deep, intimate conversion in my own heart that no one saw. Um, but the mission was affected. I love that. It's just a... Uh... It's so great when he gives us those moments of, well, it's, it's crazy to me how long I put off or even just like live from the reality of not understanding that God is going to do it all. <clears throat> it basically, I could just let him, uh, he invites me to, when, when we say he invites me you know, to, to join in this mission for salvation of souls, 99% of the time, he just wants me to let him do it. And, uh, you know, you read in the Old Testament and through the scriptures, he tells his people, I'm going to, I am your God, you will be my people and I will fight for you. Uh, just be with me. And yeah. we are just the worst at saying, no, I have a better plan. My plan is to, and I just love that he can give us those moments of, look, you you just developed a deeper love and relationship with me, and here's everything you need, right? Seek ye first right. the kingdom of God, and all these things will be delivered unto you. I love that. Right, right. And it's like really fighting against this. Yeah. It is the antidote. It's like the other story <laughs> to the self-reliant culture that we're in. It's like God, mm-hmm. the gospel of Jesus and the intimate re- communion and relationship that he wants with us the dependence, like the total dependence, not kind of like a little, like total heart dependence on God completely goes against what we're raised in. And I would say all three of us were probably raised in that Mm -hmm. kind of culture because it's existed for several decades now in a very particular way. So I think that's that, that part is a, a piercing reality. Hey everyone, this was part one of a two-part episode, so make sure you tune in again next week to hear the conclusion. And as always, thanks for listening to Red Dirt Catholics.